What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Blackbird Film Podcast. My name is Jake Benacquisto. And I'm Andy Fava. For this episode, Andy and I decided to switch things up and review a film that we were both really excited about. And we're talking about David Fincher's newest film, Mank, which just dropped on Netflix. Mank is a biopic that follows Herman Mankiewicz as he, as he writes the screenplay of Citizen Kane. This film examines 1930s Hollywood and the creative process of filmmaking and screenplay writing in this time. Andy, why don't you start us off with your initial reaction to this movie? Well, I mean, we've both been excited about this film for... I, I mean, I know I've been excited for however long they announced it, however long ago that was. Especially due to COVID, I've been excited since a lot of films I wanted to see that we've wanted to see have been pushed back. So it was nice to finally get a film from a director that we haven't seen in six years, maybe? I don't think Fincher's made a film in six years. And um, so, yeah, no, my initial reaction to Mank, I liked it. I liked it, too. And it wasn't, you know, it's definitely not my favorite David Fincher film. And we'll talk about his other films and how we kind of rank them. But I didn't really know what to expect because I knew that this film was so much far off than the genre that David Fincher usually does, which is usually like crime drama. This is just a straight up biopic that follows Herman Mankiewicz, as we mentioned, who is this alcoholic, degenerate screenwriter who is just trying to get through the screenplay of Citizen Kane while he's fighting with Orson Welles about credit. And, you know, when is the film going to be done being written? There's like they have a tight deadline. And so, you know, it's definitely different from other films that David Fincher has done before, right? And I really thought it was interesting to see him take on this 1930s kind of environment because, you know, a lot of his films are more modern day. You don't really see him go back in time like this before. And from a technical perspective, I was really enjoying this film because it looks like a film from the 1930s. I mean, the sound quality, the uh, directing, the cinematography, like, you know, there's like marks in the film that look like, you, you know, you would see from an old film like that. It has a lot of elements that you would think is from a 1930s film, but it was obviously made in 2020. And I don't know, man, like the story, we'll talk about this in a little bit. The story, I, I thought it was a little boring at times, and I can see why a lot of people aren't going to necessarily enjoy this film. But for guys like us who just really appreciate filmmaking, you're going to enjoy it just for the technical aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. I know I'm a big fan of any um, movie that deals with the behind the scenes of filmmaking or just to create a process in general when it comes when it comes to film. So this, I mean, Mank definitely delivers on that aspect. But for a general audience, for people who don't know who Orson Welles is, don't really care about 1930s Hollywood or like cinema in general, they're more interested in movies like Fight Club or Zodiac or Seven. This is not the same type of Fincher film you would expect it to be. And there's good, re- like, there's good reason for that. As you said, it's a 19, it's a film about the 1930s. Um, the screenplay for the film was written by Fincher's late father, like decades ago. So this definitely was, this could have been Fincher's like dream project. He's been sitting on this for a while, but I think it works. And the technical aspect, like the actors are acting like 1930s actors, um, like Amanda Seyfried. I see. I don't. I hope I pronounce her name right. Um, she plays Marion Davies, who in the film and in real life is William Randolph Hearst's um, mistress, and Hearst is played by Charles Dance, who's I know is like a British acting icon. Um, but I think overall, it was it's going to have a hard time breaking into that broader audience, as even though it's on Netflix too. But I remember when it came out, it wasn't in the top ten on Netflix 
on their like ranking that they have for daily whatever's on their site and it didn't break the top 10 which was kind of concerning especially the day it was released well i think for a lot of people like the black and white might just be an immediate turnoff you know i think for that general audience they see that and they don't really know what to think but i know for a movie like this i would have no interest in it if it wasn't david fincher you know like david fincher is one of those filmmakers for me that it's like okay i'll see anything that he's doing because i'm that invested in him i've been watching his films my whole life and i know how good he is of a director so you know a project like this that like you said this is something that's close to his heart his father wrote the screenplay it's a love letter to 1930s hollywood which i'm sure david fincher grew up watching you know he's a big fan of those kind of movies so yeah it's not necessarily a movie that a lot of people are going to be into but if you're a fan of David Fincher and you appreciate his work, you're you're going to be, you know, locked in no matter what. And, you know, we mentioned, like, how a movie like this is, you know, it's for a director. Like, it's kind of like his passion project. I don't know about you, Andy, but it kind of reminded me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest Quentin Tarantino movie, where whereas it's not a typical genre movie from that director, you know, with Quentin Tarantino. I know I didn't really expect what I saw in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I kind of thought this was similar with Mank because it's a director doing a project that he's not necessarily used to. It's not the same kind of genre. It's not the same kind of film that he usually makes, but it's something that you can tell is close to his heart. And for that, I really appreciated it because, you know, I I like when a director does something that he just cares about. He doesn't really care about the general audience's reaction. David Fincher just said, oh, I I really want to make this movie because my father wrote the screenplay. I love these kind of movies. And so for that reason, I really appreciated it. Yeah, definitely. And back to like the technical aspect. Um, in our outline here, we I see you wrote down something about the score, which it's amazing. And I also read that they only used instruments from that time period. They didn't use anything past, I think, 1938, I believe, which is wild to do that. And I mean, the camera, like back to cinematography, the camera moves like it's a 1930s film everything about it is just i don't i was i mean we're both big fans of like production aspects when it comes to film how the cameras move how the mics like how they pick up these sounds what mics they're using and everything and it just really like it was it was amazing watching them just do this homage to the 1930s just way of filmmaking yeah i love the score by trent reznor and atticus ross uh We'll talk about this later, but my favorite film by David Fincher is The Social Network, and they absolutely killed it with that movie, too. The score in that movie is fantastic, and it's really great in this movie, too, you know? And I, I didn't know that they used instruments just from that time, but I totally believe it, because this sounds like, you know, it was made in the 1930s, and that it looks the same way, too. And that's just a technical achievement. Like, whether you like the movie or not, like, whether you like the plot or not, you have to appreciate the technical achievements of this film. Uh, the score is fantastic. Uh, like you said, like the camera movements, and I really noticed like the cut in between, like the way the film is edited. Like, you know, the end of a scene, it kind of like stays on the character, and it kind of fades out. Like that's definitely a thing that you notice from those older movies that you don't see as much today. So, for all those things, like, you know, I definitely kind of want at some point if I do rewatch this film, I'm gonna notice those things more, and I'm gonna appreciate it. I know you said you watched it two times, and so those kinds of things like jumped out at you more. Yeah, when I wa- I watched it last night, oh god, I don't know, like nine o'clock to probably it's a two hour film, so eleven. And the second when you rewatch, I mean, any film, obviously you're gonna find out more things that you didn't before the first time. Um, this time, a lot of things jumped out at me. So jumping into the plot 
This is about Herman Mankiewicz, who was a screenwriter in 1930s Hollywood. And he is like tasked to ghostwrite a script for Orson Welles, who is coming out to Hollywood to make a feature film for the struggling RKO Studios. Um, the film ends up being Citizen Kane. But what we find is this interesting, I guess, story of... It's not the main story, because the main story is how Herman... It's how he like comes up with the story to give to Orson Welles. So it's like... We go through easily an hour and a half of Mank's life experiences and flashbacks while he's writing the script and at the end he finishes it and Orson Welles and Mank get into basically an argument of who's going to take credit of it yeah because Mank didn't want credit for it at first he even admits like no it's okay but then the success of the film becomes so overwhelming that he decides you know I do want my name on this it's, kind of, it's the best thing I've ever written yeah after definitely after a rewatch um, there's so many easter eggs that they put in that Fincher put in um, just concerning Citizen Kane but um, yeah definitely watch a, like a rewatch of it it's wild the little things that he put in to just tie it in with Citizen Kane and it was really it was really nice seeing that yeah so I actually haven't seen Citizen Kane it's been on my list for a while but I'm sure there's so many things that I just didn't even notice because you know it's only for fans like you who have seen both films but I definitely need to watch that and I think after I see Citizen Kane it there's going to be a lot of things that I'll notice from this movie. Uh, all right, Andy. So next, why don't we talk about what your favorite moment or scene from this movie was? So my favorite scene is the walk where they do it. It's Mank, Mank's brother, Joe, who, um, Joe Mankiewicz, I pretty sure actually won two Oscars, one for directing or maybe both for directing. I'm not sure. He was pretty successful. Um, Joe Mankiewicz, Mank and Louis B. Mayer, who's the, one of the founders of MGM Studios just they're walking on the MGM lot and Joe Mank is trying to get his brother a job so they're walking with Mayer as he walks to go ask all of his actors and every director to take a pay decrease due to the depression and that walk is just like you have tracking cameras um, very low angle to show just like the power of Mayer who was not a very good guy as you can tell from the film. I don't know, I really liked it. I liked how everything was set up. I liked the dialogue. And the dialogue in the film is just, it's, once again, it's like the 1930s. Like, everything is witty. Everything is just, like... Very sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah, that tracking shot is great. And then when Mayer delivers the news to to all the MGM workers about them taking, like, a, what was it, like a 50% pay cut... That was a really powerful scene. You can tell he's like, you can tell he's giving like a performance. You know, he's trying to act like sympathetic to the fact that they're going to lose all this money. And someone even yells out like, are you taking a pay cut? And he completely ignores them because obviously he's not going to be taking a pay cut. Uh, I'd say my favorite scene uh, was also involving Louis Mayer. It was at his birthday party when they're discussing 1930s politics, Nazi Germany, socialism. I really enjoyed this scene just because of the dialogue and the topic i'm a history fan but the way they're talking about nazi germany at that time the rise of hitler uh the rise of socialism the argument of socialism versus versus communism 
and socialism versus capitalism. I thought it was all really interesting because you could see a guy like Mayer, who, like you said, he's clearly not a good guy. He absolutely hates socialism. And he even he makes a comment about how, you know, oh, well, Nazi Germany, Hitler, it's not really that big of a deal. Like he kind of like shrugs it off. Whereas they're talking about at that point, the introduction of concentration camps in, in Nazi Germany. So that scene really reflects what kind of guy Mayer is, but it's also just really interesting to hear these characters from the 1930s talk about a topic like that, because, you know, socialism and versus capitalism, something like that is what we talk about today in our politics, you know? So I thought that part of it was really relevant. And even with just, you know, the depression and how that's affecting the con- the economy, it reminded me of how the pandemic is affecting the economy and specifically, you know, movie studios. So I really like that scene because of the relevance in you know our, today's society yeah definitely and they include like 20 20 minutes maybe of an election that's happening for the california governor who um upton sinclair is running by the way hey bill nye yeah bill nye that's so random i i knew he was in this movie but still when i see it for the first time it's like, it's like why is he in this like I, i'm not mad i'm just confused you know yeah i wasn't mad i wasn't even close to being mad i was sitting there and uh, Mank walks out of somewhere and Upson Sinclair is doing like a speech in some parking lot, something. And I heard the voice and I was like, no way. And I got right on IMDb and I looked it up and I was like, that is Bill Nye. And that made me love the film even more. So I wasn't angry about that. But um, Yeah, and it's just that one scene that we see Bill Nye. I mean, Upton Sinclair has talked about a lot throughout the movie and his politics, but we only see Bill Nye in that one moment. It's like, oh my God, like it's five, it's, you know, what is it, like 10 seconds you see of him talking, something like that. But, it's no more than a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just in it for this really brief period and you, you want more Bill Nye, you know, if we have Bill Nye in a movie like this, I mean, I want more of that. But... I, I totally agree. Bill Nye is not a bad thing. But um, yeah, we had this election and... I mean, it just, I, I, I'm willing to guess my 20 year old self, we're both in our early twenties. We do not know everything about film and it, I'm willing to guess they specifically did this due to the election that just ha- occurred. Um, I definitely feel like this was, this film was going to be released in 2022. This may not have been in the film, but that's just me. That's just my guess. Okay, Andy, so we talked about this newest film from David Fincher, but where does this rank for you among his other films? Is this your favorite of his? Is it your, you know, least favorite? I mean, you said you liked it, so where does this rank over his entire filmography? I think it's going to be... It's in the top five. I can say that. I think I'm going to have to go with number three. I think it's my number three film. Okay. Give me your ranking. Um, Five would be... Zodiac. Four is seven. Three is Fight Club. Or no, three is not Fight Club. Three is Mank. Two is Fight Club. And then The Social Network is my favorite because it's an Aaron Sorkin script. And I like, I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. So that's that's why. All right, Andy. So you have Mank at number three then. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't have it in my top five for Fincher films. Like I said, I like this movie, but. I mean, Fincher is one of the greatest directors of our time. It's just, I really liked it. It just doesn't crack that top five for me. For me, I'd go number five. It's not a movie, but it's a Fincher project. I'm going to go with Mindhunter. I love that series on Netflix. I think they're stopping after two seasons, which is really disappointing, but that's a great series if you haven't seen it. Number four, I'll go with Fight Club. 
which I love that movie mainly for the performances by Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Uh, I think the ending is a little bit, you know, overrated, but it's for another conversation. Number three, I'll say Gone Girl, because I love that movie. Rosemary Pike is incredible in that movie. Number two, I'll go with Seven. It's another great Brad Pitt performance, and Morgan Freeman's great in it. Kevin Spacey's fantastic as the film. And then number one, like you said, Social Network is maybe one of the greatest films. Like, it's in my top five or top six, seven greatest films of all time. I mean... You talk about scores in that one. We, we mentioned Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. The score in that movie is fantastic. And you mix that with the screenplay by Aaron Sorkin, who's a legend. And then, you know, it's directed by David Fincher. It's one of the, it's his best film, in my opinion. And like you said, you think it's his number one, too. I, yeah. Uh, one of his films that didn't make our top five, either of ours, is The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, that's really good. I've, I watched that for the first time a few months ago. And... Rooney Mora, I was shocked at how good she is in that movie. I mean, I know she's a great actress, but I just didn't really know. That movie was kind of like off my radar. But she's fantastic in that movie, and so is Daniel Craig. Yeah, Dan- yeah, Daniel Craig's in it. Christopher Plummer, too, who was mm-hmm. an yeah, absolute legend. Um, so, I mean, the Oscars are in April. Um, any predictions as of right now for Mank? I think Gary Oldman is definitely going to get nominated for Best Actor. I feel like that's a lock. I agree. I agree. I think that's a lock, but he's I don't think he's gonna win. He already won one. I don't know if he's No, I don't know if he's gonna win, but for a nomination it's a lock. He's fantastic in this movie. I mean Gary Oldman's one of those guys who in every single film he has a different voice and it's so distinct for each of his roles. His voice in this film is fantastic. I mean it's so it has that clear nineteen thirties kind of tone to it. uh, which a lot of the characters do, and you credit that to all the actors in this film. But he's so good in this, uh I thought Amanda Seyfried was really good. I wouldn't be surprised if she got maybe a Best Supporting Actress nom. I'm not really sure. I think, I think she might win. You think so? I, I, I think could she's see it. Win. I, I feel like she wasn't in it enough. And I, I, we could talk about our problems with the movie, but I kind of wish she had a bigger role in the film. If I had to guess right now, I think if she's nominated, she is going to win. Now, that'd be Best Supporting Actress or Best Lead Actress? Best Supporting. I think it would be Best Supporting based on her screen time, but I'm really yeah. not sure. I mean, she's like the lead female in this movie, so... It can, go, it can go either way. I thought Lily Collins was really good as his, as Gary Oldman's assistant, or as Herman yep. Mankiewicz's assistant. I thought she was really good. I kind of wanted a little bit of more more of her, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as other Oscar nominations, I definitely think cinematography is going to get a nom. Uh, I thought it was really good. Any scene where they were smoking, whether it be a cigar or a cigarette, the black and white feel to it, like it looks so cool. Uh, I think David Fincher, I could easily see him getting nominated for Best Director. Uh, I don't know about best screenplay. That'd be interesting. Uh, it'd be really cool to see his fa- his late father get that nomination. But uh, what else? What do you what do you think is gonna get nominated? I think it's gonna get nominated for uh, as of right now, best picture because it's a critics film. Um, critics love old Hollywood, everything like that. Uh, it's gonna get best picture. It's not. I don't think it's gonna win though. I I don't want it to be nominated 10 times like the Irishman was and not win anything. I am really dreading that. I definitely think it has a shot to win like uh, set design costumes easily. I think it easily has a shot to win those. It should win those um, as a period piece should. I can see it. But, I mean, this is the kind of movie that the Academy loves, you know. I mean, you said it before, but a lot of these members of the Academy are like probably in their 70s and 80s 
like these are the kind of films that they grew up watching so they're gonna see something like this and they're gonna be like oh this is back when i was a kid you know so i think it's gonna get a lot of love in oscar season i don't know if it's gonna get a lot of wins uh, i could i could see it going you know one for ten two for ten i think set design it could definitely win uh cinematography could definitely win but it'll definitely have a lot of nominations because you know like we said it's the kind of movie that the academy loves yeah i'm going off of have you ever seen the film the artist no i haven't but that's another one that won best picture in a black and white similar kind of movie yeah black and white film about this um silent movie legend uh basically adapting to the sound the like era of sound for film and i mean that won best picture um pretty sure best actor too so there's a shot i'm gonna say there's a shot due to the artist's success back in 2011 or 2012 yeah and it's kind of been a down year for for movies honestly and part of that i think is the pandemic and things getting delayed but i don't know like what like what do you think is like the lead for best picture right now i can't really think of anything that stands out i haven't seen it but nomad land i'm guessing that is the that's the picture that will i'm that's gonna win it if i had to guess okay yeah. i haven't seen that either i haven't seen i haven't seen like anything this year but yeah right thank god for mank getting put on netflix so i can see a new film <laughs> all right andy why don't you give me your letter grade of this film and your overall kind of wrap up of it i think i'm gonna give it a b plus a minus range simply because of the technical just the technical aspect and the writing i really enjoyed the writing of the film um, of course, there were certain scenes that seemed to like drag on a little bit too long, um, but the film is beautifully put together. The editing is nice. I mean, that's what you get from two time. The editor, I can't remember his name right now. He's won the editing Oscar twice. Um, but he's, I, I really enjoyed the film. If you're big, you're a film buff. If you enjoy like 1930s, just studio Hollywood you're gonna like this film especially if you like the whole citizen kane um story i think you're gonna enjoy the film so i'm b plus b plus is my that's my final letter grade for the film all right i'm gonna go with b minus and i say that it might be a little on the lower end of things but you know like i said before there's some parts of the plot that i kind of just you know checked out there's a few flashbacks you know there's a few too many flashbacks i think the movie it's, it ends at what, like two hours and 12 minutes? I think you can cut 15 to 20 minutes off of it and nobody would care, you know? I think a couple of flashbacks maybe. But the technical achievements, the the performances by the actors, and like you said, the screenplay, I mean, just the dialogue, that, that sarcastic kind of witty tone they have going back and forth. All those things I really enjoyed. And I'm just a big fan of David Fincher, so that'll give me a B minus for it. So that's all the time we have for this episode of the Blackbird Film Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our feed on Spotify and now Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Blackbird Film Podcast. You can also check out our festival's website at www.blackbirdfilmfest.com. Thanks for tuning in.